Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 197 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Finally, I've seen my first snowdrops. We've been over at the workshop boiling frames and I have a rather painful toothache to contend with. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www simonthebeekeeper.co.uk Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Here we are into February and it's been a mild start to the month for us here in Norfolk. It's what I would call a tense month for me and probably like most beekeepers I'm keeping a watchful eye on the weather and the weather forecast. We've not really seen any heavy daytime frosts as yet. A few windscreen scraping mornings but generally the conditions have been fine they've they've been okay when i've been out to the apiaries the bees have been getting out on cleansing flights even at the lower temperatures of five or six degrees celsius and clusters have mostly been breaking apart and the bees have been moving around and feeding a number of our colonies are on stands and those sit on concrete paving slabs and so it's easy and quite reassuring to see wax cappings on the ground beneath the floor indicating that the bees have moved around and taken to feeding on fresh stores. February for us here is a month I look forward to seeing the back of really yet there's still a lot of work to do but as each week passes without the clouds dumping a foot of snow on us, it brings us closer to the month of March and warmer daytime conditions. That, of course, is for most average years. I don't consider we're totally out of winter until we get through to the back end of April, but longer days and stronger sunshine gets the bees active for longer and building up nicely. I mentioned the beast from the east last week, I think, and it's worth just reminding beginner beekeepers to hold off doing any major work with your bees until the weather really starts to warm up. This is, of course, another one of those questions in beekeeping where there are no simple answers, and to give a specific date that any technique or any work that needs to be carried out with our bees is going to be spot on is just tempting fate. If you have no specific reason for doing splits or queen raising or artificial swarms or any other techniques that you wanted to implement, then I would suggest waiting until we're clear of overnight frosts, which for me here in Norfolk is usually mid to late May. The reason for this is to give the bees time to build up, get active and have plenty of bees to manage any type of split or work that you intend for them such as maybe a shook swarm or a bailey comb change it isn't just about queen rearing or splitting colonies anything you do is affected by the number of bees that you have and the weather conditions that you face 
warmer nighttime temperatures will allow the bees to continue their work without having to cluster around expanding brood nests to keep them alive. You'll have a lot more bees in the box to work on any foundation that you give them. And if you're looking to split down a colony, any bees you have in those splits need to be able to maintain all of the work that they would have carried out in a large single colony. Now, all of that said, if we have a fast start and weather conditions are favourable, you could be doing any or all of these manoeuvres in April. And that's where experience comes in and something that you will usually learn by cocking it up and getting impatient to get started. I know, I've been there, got the t-shirt so to speak. But we could be looking at a nice early start and believe me, this year that's what I really need. We have so much to achieve this year and our season can sometimes be so short. Getting all of those tasks ticked off my plan for this season is likely to be tricky and we'll carry over incomplete plans to the following season. I too will need to sit on my hands to a certain degree and wait. It's all too easy to get carried away with the first sign of the warm spring sun and get caught out by a sudden cold snap that sets your bees back a month or more. Add that to our already short season and you can almost write off an entire summer, so do be warned. But all of that said, it does look like we're on track for some decent winter weather that our bees can cope with quite nicely. This week I've seen bees out flying in low temperatures and once it warmed up to double figures, they were really making the most of it. Hazel trees and bushes are now in full flower, the catkins are hanging down and full of pollen and just so much of that pollen is there for the bees to take advantage of. And just this week, I noticed at the beginning of the week on Monday that there were no snowdrops in flower. Yet by Wednesday, there were carpets of white flowers in all of the usual places that I look. And with the week ahead showing signs of being as much as 13 degrees Celsius on Monday, I have no doubt that our colonies will be all over the opportunity, gathering in much needed fresh pollen to feed the beginnings of a growing brood nest. It's the start of the rush towards building colonies in preparation for the oilseed rape crop for us. And um, If you're planning anything on your beekeeping journey that involves a good strong colony, it's always good to start with the end in mind. What I mean by that is, if I want to take advantage of the oilseed rape, for example, and get a good crop of honey from it, I need to have planned for foragers to be available when the crop is in its full nectar mode, so to speak. That's not always full flower. It might be a week or so later. I do find oilseed rape seems to give out little until the last part of flowering, and then there seems to be a rush of nectar. But of course, that could simply be that my colonies are not strong enough to take advantage of the early nectar because I haven't built them up quickly enough. Let me give you an example of what I mean. By planning with the end in mind and assume that I want to take a crop of oilseed rape honey. We normally see the tailing off of the oilseed rape around the last week of May. That's in a normal spring condition in an average year. Given that generally the big flow seems to be towards the last part of the flowering period, I need the maximum number of bees out and foraging from about the second week of May. 
workers, as you all know by now, take around 21 days to emerge as adult bees from the point of the egg being laid by the queen. So, working backwards, we need a brood box full of brood around the third or fourth week in April. Each of those frames of brood is initially going to need a lot of bees covering it to maintain the correct temperature for healthy brood development, something around 35 degrees Celsius. And that takes a lot of effort from a lot of bees. If we then rewind another brood cycle, that brings us to a point somewhere around the third week in March. And here we are at the beginning of February. Not long to wait at all, really. This is also where pollen substitute will come into my thinking. I'll be keeping a watchful eye on the weather, scanning the hedgerows and woodland areas for pollen plants and trying to second guess Mother Nature. Once we start adding any additional food to our colonies into spring, we have to keep going until the natural forage takes over. Colonies can quickly find themselves very short on food if you encourage them to grow and develop only to stop feeding them before their natural food source begins to put out. If you feed to build colonies, don't cheat them and watch them starve. Keep the food going in, be it fondant or pollen substitute or both. With the onset of bright sunshine and warmer days comes the realisation that I need to get my backside into gear and do a lot more work over at the workshop. So appropriately alarmed at the calendar, Steph and I popped over this week and got stuck into some frame boiling and counted up some of the kit that still needs a little TLC. There is a video on the way, a kind of vloggy chat as we got started with the cleaning process. Lots of boiling water and lots of washing soda. Keeping up with all of the cleaning is one of those areas that needs constant attention for me. Frames left in boxes become the target of wax moth and mice at this time of the year, with the end result being most of the wax gets lost and in some instances the frames need to be put on the bonfire. The method of cleaning all of the frames, whether they're brood frames or super frames, is just the same. It's easy to scale up or down depending on what your needs are, but to give an idea of where we're at, I have a half oil drum which sits on top of a large gas burner, both of which can be bought secondhand from a variety of websites such as eBay or Gumtree, that kind of place. The half drum is filled to about the three quarters mark with water and set to boil. And to this, I add maybe four or five one kilo bags of washing soda and a good squirt of washing up liquid. Temperature is everything here. If you go in too soon, it will take an age to clean the frames. So be patient and maybe prepare the frames first while the water is coming up to temperature. So I would take a full brood box of frames, cut out all of the wax, tidy up the frames and stack them in a crisscross fashion so as much of the frame is exposed to the washing liquid as possible. These are then tied together with baler twine to hold them nice and tightly and make sure as much of that wax and propolis is removed from the frames as possible prior to washing them. It will just make the job that much easier and quicker, saving you time and money in the long run. Once the water is boiling, a rapid rolling boil is best. A stack of 11 or so frames is dropped into the tank, and we use a length of timber with a screw stuck in it to catch up the twine, and then we plunge up and down until the frames look washed. Sometimes, if we're busy, we'll use an old sugar syrup jerry can filled with water to add a weight to hold the frames under the water for a few minutes 
while we're preparing other kit for the tank or have some cleaning up to do elsewhere in the workshop. Give it a bounce or two with the screw stick and then carefully lift the stack out, take it outside and quickly hose it down to rinse it. Now, if you don't do this quickly, the frames will steam themselves dry and the washing soda in that mix will get drawn into the wood of the frames. I don't think it'll do too much harm to the bees, but why take the risk? Give them a quick rinse and they can stack to dry. You could fill the other half of the oil drum with water and splash the washed frames into that to rinse, but eventually that too will become dirty and need replacing. I have seen comments about frames needing to be stacked in such a way with a weight on top to stop them twisting when they dry out. But to be honest, I've never really done that and I've only ever lost a couple of frames or so that have twisted out of shape. So I don't really bother with all of the stacking and adding weights. The frames in this instance were stacked in the back of the truck to drain and then brought back to the unit here in Norwich to dry before being re-waxed and put into boxes ready for use in what's going to be just a few short weeks time. While all of that was going on, we also managed to clean a large number of frame runners. These are the metal ones used mainly in the brood boxes originally, but now that we use manly frames in the supers too, we also use them in those boxes as well. The nice thing about the metal runners is they can be dropped into the washing tank and left for a while before being lifted, scrubbed a little and rinsed. As good as new, almost, and ready to go back onto the boxes once those have been scraped and scorched. A final task I really needed to tick off the list at the workshop was to count up what spare honey pour equipment we have. As the business grows, it's really easy to lose track of what kit we have, particularly when we have the workshop, the unit, and our home garage too. Every spare inch of space is going to be required this year as we start on our journey of expansion, the likes of which I've never attempted before. But before I get sidetracked and talk more of my plans, let me finish off the point about spare equipment at the workshop. Having thought I might have a couple of floors and roofs over there, it turns out I had quite a bit more. There were in fact 11 floors, 9 roofs, 4 brood boxes, more feeders and queen excluders than I thought, along with several other bits of kit I'd completely forgotten about. I think next week we'll be back over there to finish cutting out frames and boil and clean, get all of the boxes scraped and ready, and hopefully start on the easy repair jobs. Hopefully we won't have any dead outs for the rest of this winter, and they'll all make it through to the start of the new season. We really need every last one of them now. Finally, all of this has been happening while I'm nursing a really bad toothache. Not that I'm looking for sympathy, but we all know how toothache can be so miserable. Some might say, no change there then, Stuart. However, I'm going to soldier on. The bees and beekeeping season waits for no man or woman, and we just have to crack on and keep popping the pain relief pills. I'm in the dentist's chair on Monday, so we'll see what he has to say. Wish me luck, and if you don't hear from me next week, you'll know what's happened. Fingers crossed that it all goes well for me, and I'll catch up with you all again next time. But just so you don't forget, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. <laughs>